Hey everyone, it is almost the end of 2021. And in fact, this is the last episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley for the year. Whoa, what a year it has been. Ups and downs, no doubt. I think my number one positive thing is travel opening up. I managed to get to the US a few times. I got to travel with my family. It was awesome. And I'm looking forward to more of that in 2022. Importantly, I hope it has been a successful one for you, but I hope that 2022 is going to be even better. Now, I certainly have some big plans and a few surprises up my sleeve regarding the podcast and events that I'll be running in the new year. But I'm going to keep that under wraps for now so that we can get into the show. Okay, today's conversation is with Chris Duffin. Chris is an inventor. He's been called the mad scientist of health. He's a thought leader and an entrepreneur in the health and fitness space. He has co-founded the globally recognized brand Kabuki Strength, where he serves as chief visionary officer. He has invented multiple game-changing products, improving human biomechanics under load, as well as systemized approaches to assessing and correcting human movement dysfunctions. That is a mouthful. <laughs> Thing that I think is really, really impressive is he's the only person to squat and deadlift over, get this, a thousand pounds for reps. Anyone who's done any gym work will understand what that means. And he holds the Guinness world record for the sumo deadlift. This is actually a methodology in my mind of being able to truly refine your value system and what's important to you in your life is going after the a couple of the things that you truly know. He is the best-selling author of a book called The Eagle and the Dragon. He grew up homeless, raised in an abusive and chaotic household. And from all of this, his objective and vision in life is to help people live better through strength in all forms, which I thought was a great way to end the year that was in 2021. Nobody can take that stuff away, but if you've had those experiences, you can still at least take some pieces of that and use what you can from that to become a stronger and better version of yourself. So a big thank you to all of you who have listened to the podcast this year. I don't take it for granted. I really appreciate your support and I want to wish you and your families fabulous happy new year without further ado welcome to scale up with nick bradley the last episode of 2021 mr chris Duffin. hi everyone it is nick bradley back again for another fantastic conversation on scale up and i'm delighted to have with me today mr chris Duffin. chris welcome to the show thanks for having me looking forward to some good conversation Awesome, man. Well, as I said, before we sort of press record, you know, this is this is the mobile recording studio. Anything could happen. We might have, you know, sirens out the back here. I'm li literally looking down on a Vancouver street <laughs> as we do this. <laughs> so let's get right into it. So listen, I mean, you've done some pretty incredible stuff. As we said beforehand, we could talk about business. We could talk about just transformation. Um, I want to start off with kind of what you do now uh, and how you got there, because obviously you're a successful business owner entrepreneur uh you've what's this the only person to squat and deadlift over a thousand pounds for reps yep incredible yep. So, so so what's the origin story here where you know what is it that uh, you know in your past has led you to kind of what you're doing now um well that's a that's a long story so maybe i start with what i'm actually doing now and then uh we can backtrack but uh uh everything that i do now is around helping people you know with tools and education 
understand and live a better quality of life through, through resilience, through development of resilience. And so most of my companies are around the physical nature of this. So uh, Kabuki Strength, you know, we make, we work with, got anybody and everybody. So 90% of professional uh, sports teams in North America, all the major colleges, all the big action movie stars, you, you name it, anybody that's in the know on strength training, they use our products, all the elite, you know, rehab and return to play, uh, you know, those leading ed clinicians. Um, and so we make biomechanically sound you know, equipment. I don't want to get on here and do a sales pitch. So, you know, maybe we can dive into right. Everyone can look later. into it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not here to sell, but, uh, and then uh, um, um, barefoot shoes, which is um, the absolute best in minimalist footwear development of strength in the foot, the methodology for how to do that. And then uh, my other company is uh, Build Fast Formula, which is in supplementation. And then I'm an author as well. So I wrote a best selling book, The Eagle and the Dragon which is the story of how I got here and the values surrounding that. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the thousand pound squat and deadlift. I like walking the walk, but people hear that and they probably might think just some, you know, meathead lifter that's been, been successful. And uh, the story is actually uh, significantly, significantly different. So uh, when we talk about developing resilience, it is much more than that physical nature. It's really, to me, it's body, mind, and soul. It's the ability to lean into those things that scare you, those things that challenge you, and also the things that may be bad, the things that may cause trauma, not to lean into those, but to understand that those don't define you, that nobody can take that stuff away, but if you've had those experiences, you can still at least take some pieces of that and use what you can from that to become a stronger and better version of yourself. May as well harness that good. So where does this story come from? And why am I so passionate? Why is this everything that I, that I do and live? And by the way, I, to, to head this path of forming those businesses, I, I walked away from a career where I was a turnaround executive running aerospace and automotive manufacturing companies doing turnarounds, prepping companies for sale. Wow. I walked away from it. I sold my homes. I leveraged every, I, my entire 401k. I put everything on the line to do this because I'm like, this is what I need to do with my life. And so how I got if I can, well, If I can interject very quickly. I mean, this is, so this is quite bizarre, right? So that's my background. So I was 10 years of turnarounds. Did it for private yeah. equity firms. Had a breakdown as a result of it. Well, let's put it this way. I felt that I was selling my soul to the devil multiple times a year <laughs> and then had to transition away. But I work with some of the largest private equity firms going in there and restructuring and all that stuff. So that's an interesting, yeah. I didn't quite realize that was in your background. I've looked at your bio, but I didn't yeah, quite yeah. that was really Yes, fantastic. well, it's, uh, so we'll get to the me growing up homeless in the wilderness, running around with bears and stuff like that uh, in a bit. But yeah, let's touch on that for a minute. So yeah, my, my professional background is a dual engineering degree, an MBA, and I just worked myself up through the ranks, continually, you know, progressing, improving myself. I uh, did that for about 10 years. And then there was 10 years that I was, you know, at the executive level and I'd get hired to come in and fix a company, fix a division of the company, take a company from a regional presence to a national to international to take a failing company turn it around. Like my biggest success was an aerospace company that was about to lose 
uh, its contract with Boeing go under. It was not pro- it was not successful quality delivery <laughs> or financially. Uh, turned it around, made it the number one supplier in the world to Boeing for quality and delivery in its category. Financially successful, walked it through to a sale process, de- resolving uh, the liability issues and and uh, saving everyone's job in the process. That was a, a four-year project. But that's, uh, that's what I did. And I didn't feel like I was selling my soul. Like I was engaged. I was the, you know, I was general manager, the director of ops, you know, those type of basically responsible for how the company ran. Uh, but for me, I did get a lot of the things that I wanted out of it, which was to me, my turnarounds. Sure. You're doing some, you know, there's always strategies, right? And I'm, I'm an expert in like lean manufacturing and different methodologies and you drive all this stuff and there may be how you restructure it. Maybe there's different ERP systems and process flow. Hey, we, we do all that. Right. But at the end of the day, for me, it was that engagement one-on-one you change a person and you keep doing that on a one-on-one level, you end up changing a company, you change the culture, you change. And, and that, that once I start telling my story, you'll realize like how important that is for me. And that was, that was the piece I loved about my work. I didn't care what we made. Right. <clears throat> well, I did, but you know, it's not that it wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't the title. It wasn't the thing, but it was that leadership piece that getting people to realize that they were more capable than what they thought they were. And that's a one-on-one job. And, and that is, it has such a huge reward. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was my interesting. That was so my how, how did you, I was going to say, how did you get into that? I mean, we'll get into your full story. I don't I want to unpack so many things, but I also want to hear it. This is the way you describe it, but how'd you get into that originally? Uh, so I, well, well, let's roll back to the beginning and then we can roll back up to this. All right. So uh, the, the origin story, like I said, I, I grew up homeless in the wilderness. So, and, and that's not, that's not joking. That's like the reality. Northern California, uh, Central Oregon started in California, but my my mother, just for her own reasons, didn't want to be part of society. And so we ended up at a very young age, you know, living in in the mountains. There was times like I think I was six years old and we had we were there's no roads where we were. It was just there was a there was an open field. There was a little stream. And next to the stream was our campsite. We had beams lashed up in the trees because we'd climb up there where our bedding was and sleep at night because there was rattlesnake dens all over. It was Northern California. And you know, me and my brother, we'd catch like dragonflies and we'd race them for entertainment. There's no technology. There's no, no nothing. Right. And I was, I was six years old. I was, I was being taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes because that was the environment I lived in and I needed to know how to, how to manage myself and not get killed. So there's a lot of lessons that I've learned over my life under, you start, start thinking about the scope of that to, you know, the, the, you know, that executive world, I've had a, an interesting scope. It's not been harder than anybody else's life or, but it's definitely been different than a lot of people's. And when you're in the type of environment, you come across I would say unsavory characters. How's that? So when you're out there and, you know, away from society, trying to escape that some of the other people that are out there doing that are not doing so for altruistic reasons. So you're in the mix and this is Northern California. So this is the, 
uh, you know, my parents were growing weed for a living. And we were, if you watch this uh, documentary, it's called Murder Mountain. You know, we lived 50 miles from that at one point in time. And so if you, if you see it and you see the stories of serial killers and murderers and uh, police corruption, Seriously. And it, this is the <laughs> world I lived in. Like it was, I, I saved my mother from a serial killer at one point in time. Human oh, trafficking man. affected my family, myself and my siblings. Uh, we were taken by the state for a while. Uh, this was, I've had some, I've, I've had some nasty shit happen over the course of my life. And parents ended up getting us back and decided to get out of the drug trade because they didn't want to risk you know, losing us again. So we ended up in Oregon after that and quickly kind of fell back into the same thing, but going with uh, uh, mining and uh, you know, wood cutting, things like that. And, you know, we're talking a family of six living off of $5,000 a year back in the 80s, right? This is, uh, you know, shoes falling off your feet. Like, you know, I go to school, I'm getting laughed at because I smell funny because, you know, my bath consists of, you know, filling up a jug in a stream, you know, setting it on a rock so it warms up during the day and dumping it over my head. Or in the wintertime, we'd come in and, you know, we'd find a, a home or a shack or a trailer or something like that. I'd sleep in the back of a pickup truck, you know, with snow on the ground. There was you know, oftentimes these places didn't have running water or electricity. So, you know, the bathing in that point was heating up a pot of water on the wood stove and stepping out back in the snow and, you know, trying to wash yourself a bit. And uh, it was, well, what about some, um, what about a, education and schooling and things like that? So, like I said, during the, during the school year, we would move closer to society. Like I said, and okay. so I had access, went to school. Uh, we did, my parents were definitely very smart. So my mother was going to school uh, to be a chemical engineer. My father was a member of Mensa. We were well-read. Like, that's what we didn't have TV. We didn't have radio. But we went to the library and would just get stacks and stacks of books. And that's what I did all the time. You know, during the day, it was working, you know, helping out with everything. So I've been working my whole life. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. And, but by night it was, you know, reading with a flashlight or by candlelight and just absorbing everything that I could. And so I did really well in school. We'll put it that way. So, um, and I started lifting actually as a kind of a counter to that because, you know, I was, junior high, you know, it's by this time, you know, everybody feels awkward and not fitting in, but me, especially. So, you know, I'm literally the kid, the, the Chris Farley, uh, living in a trailer down by the river. Like that was me and all this baggage behind me that people didn't know this about me. You could see it in my clothing or other things, but I thought everybody could see all this background info about me. And so I was, you know, we moved all the time. I went to like 20 different schools. So it was, I was socially inept. I was, I had a lot of um, lack of conf, self-confidence, things of that nature. But <clears throat> I decided to start lifting weights as a, as a result of that kind of balanced my nerdiness, my, you know, I was the straight A student. Actually, what, was it I, about, I was, what was it about your parents that, that, you know, again, motivated them to live like that? You know, what was their sort of values and belief system? 
well, my mom still lives in the uh, in the desert. Uh, I think the county where she lives has a total of 1,400 people. She lives in the big city that has 100 people in it. Uh, she's got a rock museum. She hates people. <laughs> Amazing woman, actually. Uh, don't get me wrong. For all these stories, like she taught me everything I need to know about perseverance, about working yeah. hard, and about forging the way that you want to live despite how anybody else views you or per has perceptions about you and the world or however you want to look at it. And those are huge things and huge parts of who I am today. I mean, massive parts of, of that. So, so yeah, it's pretty easy to like, look at when I tell the story of like maybe some of the negative things around that, but my mom does not want to be told what to do, how to do it where to do it. Authority is an issue. And I touch on that in the book. I really don't want to talk about that in a podcast uh, setting, but there's some trauma from her childhood. And, right. and so I understand how she is the way that she is. And, um, and it just so fascinates me. It wasn't, decided... a, it wasn't a judgment or anything. It was more just the fact I find it, you know, there is no right or wrong it, way. Right. Sometimes. Cause I, you know, people have, different things that happen to them when they're younger, particularly, and it's then what they do with it, which, you know, your whole, whole story comes from, but I'm always fascinated as to, as to like, you know, when you're in that situation, are you aware of kind of what you're in? And, you know, you said you were to some extent because you're going to school and probably living like no one else was, but you know, it's only in hindsight sometimes that we realize the gifts that come from those environments. I, and and, and I didn't realize those, I didn't realize those gifts at that time. Right. Cause a lot of mm. people would look at that and go, man, can't believe your parents would do that. Or, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'd never put my kids or my family through that though. Just the thought, and this is what kind of inspired mm. my book is seeing them. At, so as a parent and starting to see them get around four five, six years old, eight, age and looking at them and then thinking about them living the life that I had, actually, that's when I finally started processing. Because when I was growing up, it was survivor mentality. Like, I think I was successful because I was the oldest sibling and they were out doing stuff. And I was the one responsible for raising my three younger sisters, my, bro my younger brother. I was the one that was the one taking care of them. I was the one, like, it was it put me in, in later, actually, I ended up taking custody of them. So, oh, okay. so wow. this story accelerates a little bit. I'm kind of jumping a little, a little bit here, but when I went off to college, so I was valedictorian. I had full ride scholarship to go to, to school on the academic side. I was a state level athlete too. Yeah. I was an overachiever. Uh, you know, like, um, and I think that's certainly as a result of that, that upbringing too, like you, I'm going to be better than everybody. You can't look down on me. You can't, you know, like whatever you, whatever avenue you want to look at, I'm going to be the best. Right. And so, but I uh, got a full ride academic scholarship and things at home fell apart. Like after I left, like way worse than it already was. My, their father, who was my stepfather uh, started, you know, his descent into madness. He had mental health issues just started a really downward path. My mother had a breakdown and disappeared out in Montana. And I took custody of my three younger siblings. And I raised all of them while I started working on my, while I worked through my engineering degrees, while I worked on my MBA, I was working full-time. You know, I'm 21 years old. 
<laughs> I, I'm 21 years old. <laughs> I, was pre- I, I was president of the engineering society, working full time, um, uh, still going to school, bought my own house. <laughs> And this is had a business I had a business I was running on the weekend, like, and uh, I had a massive alcohol addiction problem at the time, which was understand. So you, I mean, so you, I, so you my, were drinking. My were, so you yeah. were drinking, but you were still overachieving. You had all this responsibility. You had yeah. to lead in a way that most people would not have to lead themselves and others at that age. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I, mean, I grew up around. I, I grew up around full of drug and alcohol addiction. Like that's yeah, okay. That's the environment I grew up in. And, and somehow I knew, like, I didn't have to have a drink until I was like 19 because I'm like, as soon as I have one, I'm going to become an alcoholic. I know it. And then I, I, you know, 19 years old, I'm in college and I had a drink and it wasn't the alcohol. It was that it opened me up all of a sudden, my concerns about the past, the social lubricant, the little boost in confidence. And I discovered that I was a charismatic person that people like girls wanted to be with me. I was the life of the party. And I became this like magnetic person that like everybody was drawn to. And it wasn't just the booze making me think that like it was, it was the reality. It was part of my natural being that was suppressed and that let it come out. So there's a lot of positive benefits that it brought to my life. But at that point in time, I, I went too far and it was, it was, it was too much, but, but it was, but it was interesting because it, it tapped into a place that maybe it would have taken me a lot longer to find that, to find that, that real person. But it got to a, a point that it was too much. And I had to, because I, I developed such a, I guess, a notoriety or whatever in it, it was a smaller community. It was a, uh, I stayed working in the community that I got my, my engineering degrees because I was already working full time. So I kept the same job and it was a small town of 30,000 people, which was actually massive by my experience. So um, because I we lived in places with like 30 people <laughs> or no people or the big city. I mean, like a big city that you drove into to deal with, you know, well, fighting to, to go to the library, deal with, you know, you know, groceries, all that was like 5,000 people was like a scary community for me growing up as a kid. Right. And, but in that community, I couldn't escape it when I realized I needed to change my ways. I needed to quit drinking and I would, I'd come home and there'd be like 20, 30 people at my house and a kegger going on because and I'm like, because it, it, it just, I couldn't escape. I couldn't escape what I had created. So I spent a year, like, I gotta get out of this and I got it. And I, and I, and I couldn't. And so I, at the time I was like really ramping back into my training, I kind of skipped over it, but I started lifting weights in junior high. And that was the piece on the self-confidence side that did was huge for me. I was, like I said, I was already physically working, you know, chopping wood, digging holes, like my whole life. I was a pretty physically active person. And, uh, in college, I had so much going on for a little while that I took like a year, year and a half off of training while I was drinking heavy and part, you know, partying, working school, like all this stuff. I took a little bit of a break and then I went like, I got to get back into this. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to stop drinking, trying to like, okay, I need to move my career forward. And I'm like something like, and I couldn't escape it. So I gave the keys to my house, to my oldest of my three sisters who just turned 18. 
And I said, the house is yours. And I got in my Jeep and I drove to one from, it was uh, on one edge of the state. I drove from that to the other, uh, the, the other, the opposite end of the state to uh, Portland, which is a the, the metro, the, the large metro area for our state in Oregon. I drove there, applied for some jobs. Two weeks later, got a job, rented a place, got my, and took my younger siblings up there with me. And uh, that's how I escaped that, uh, that reality. Started working on my MBA immediately. And, and that's, uh, yeah, uh, and that's, that's when my career started accelerating. My lifting started uh, really taking off because I could focus on that again. I started competing as a, a strength athlete around that time. Have you always and, been all in on everything you've done? Yes. I, you know, there's a lot of like memes and jokes about, you know, you know, don't, don't half-ass, you know, you know, two things, whole ass, one thing, but that, that's literally me. Like it is, it, it's a joke that my wife, me, my ex-wife, anybody that works around me, like well-known, well-known fact, like Chris, don't, don't like think you can go, you know, take up a minor hobby. If you're going to do it, it's, you're going to be, I joke, like, I want to be world-class at anything I do. And I don't, that's just the way I like, I don't know what it is. And so to me, life comes down to around. I, and I think this is a great value. I've got a whole topic on this uh, called uh, finding balance through the extremes. Like literally you've got to, there's a, you know, we can talk about finding your values and other stuff. This is actually a methodology in my, in, in my mind of being able to truly refine your value system and what's important to you in your life is going after the, a couple of the things that you truly know, because then it's going to force you to make the decisions to drop away the fluff. This whole bucket list mentality of, oh, I got a hundred or 50 things I, like is utter fucking bullshit. In my opinion, like this, you, you need to refine, like life is about figuring out how to pare things down. People look at this sounds like egotistical. I'll talk about it for a minute, but like yeah. people always contact me and it's like, I'm not joking, you know, cause there's people I say, Oh, people, everybody asks, everybody asks. Well, people really do ask me about my time management skills all the time because I build Epic vehicles from the ground up from scratch. I've lifted massive weights. I run businesses. I'm in the middle of doing a massive remodel on my house. Like I have all this stuff and people are like, how you must not sleep. Like, tell me about your time management strategies. And I'm like, I'm horrible at time management. And uh, I have to sleep a lot. I average, let me pull up my, uh, my, 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 my aura ring. Are we on a video one by chance? Oh, we are. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. all right. So, I track, I track so, everything uh, I do. So I, I'm, I'm with you on this stuff, but um, okay. So, I, so, so anyway, yeah, I, I sleep uh, nine hours a night, nine and a half hours every night. So the reason I get a whole lot of shit done is like, there's so much fluff and crap in people's life that we fall prey to. And when you get busy is the worst time. Uh, trust me, because we want to feel like we're getting stuff done. And what people do is start putting things that they can check off, get stuff done. And like, you, we want to talk about turnarounds and strategy. People don't, it, it, people want to know how I pulled some of that off. How I did that was not doing things. Like literally every time I go do this, you, you've done turnarounds, right? The person running it is usually has failed, not because of lack of trying, not smart enough or any of that. Like 
you come in and they've been working 12 hour days, seven days a week, maybe even 14 hour days, like hair on fire, getting shit done. And I would do nothing because then I'd find out what I really have to do. What's really important. Right. And it'd be like, you got to do this report. You've got to do that. No, not doing anything. And you really quickly by not doing anything, you really have to, the things that you got to do, they're going to come at you like in personal life. Yeah. I better do the laundry or, you know, the, the wife's going to get mad with how I smell pretty quick. We're going to have problems. Okay. You can't, I can't avoid that one. Got it. Right. But you would be surprised at how much stuff in your life that just fall in and they become habit and they just, it's convenience, it's entertainment. It's you feel you got to do all this stuff and you check it off and you're, you're getting stuff done, but is it, is it the right things? Is it the things that are really moving and propelling you towards how you want to live your way of being, and I'm fascinated by massive things done. I'm fascinated by, you know, again, I'm just, oh, I'm just, I, I like to listen intently to the, the nuances of what you're saying and people come on the show, but there's a number of things you've said already, which I just want to unpack a bit here. Right. So yeah. this piece here we're talking about feels like you're incredibly focused on the outcome or the result as opposed to the, the doing right. So to achieve great things efficiently and effectively, it's not about doing heaps of stuff. It's about doing, the things that are going to make the biggest difference. Now, I assume that's probably it's been a big a, piece of uh, what you don't do. Yeah. And I take it the sentiment yeah. of what you've created with your body, with your businesses, all that sort of stuff. This has been a thread through it all as well. Yes, absolutely. So my businesses are an output of all of this coming to fruition, right? This, how do I, how do I live and be those values? And how do I make things like, how do I, how do I work harder than I've ever worked before yet create more time for my family than I've ever created before? And how what do, do I have? How do, how do you do I it? Have, so like, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk I, about time management. <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk about time management. Let's not talk about time so, management. I, and, and I don't want to talk about balance either. Cause I think that can be quite interesting. No, but it, so, that, yeah, take us through it. Absolutely. So uh, my hobbies, I have to have creative outlets. So big thing is I, I need time to just use my hands and create like, like art, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. building vehicles, building exercise equipment, just these, these mad ideas that I've got. That's why they call me the mad scientist. Uh, I come up with new innovative stuff and I've just got to have time to do it. It's really important for me to that. So my passion is, you know, it's, it, it's fabricating and designing and things like that. Right. Family is the utmost important to me. So the, the big thing that people may not have missed in that discussion about my growing up is we were together all mm. the time. And it was us against the world. And it was, is an experience that most people don't get to have that much time, right? And so, so that having that sense of family, those relationships, and as they extend beyond family, community, all that huge important piece for me, right? My ability to actually change the course of life for others. The, you can call it leadership. You can call it any number of things, but I, I mentioned in the turnaround, like to, to help people live, you know, accomplish more than they ever thought possible, right? That's key to me, right? And so we start looking about that stuff and how, how that fits together. And it was broken. It was disjointed. I mean, I'm sitting here. So before I made the move of starting my businesses, I am doing turnarounds. I'm a high level executive. I'm running there to my gym that I owned on the side. 
<laughs> so that I could have the ultimate training center so that I could become the best athlete. And I was, I was ranked number one in the world for eight years straight as a power lifter, uh, either the squat, the, the deadlift or the total. It's ranked number one. I was competitive. I was one of the best there was. And then I'm running home to try to get some time with my family and make sure my weekends are free. And then I've got my hobbies, my creativity. I've got a full machine shop at my house and I'm like, and I'm like, now my kids are getting a little, it was easy when the kids are young, you know, and they don't need that, you know, that attention. I'm like, they're getting, I'm like, they're going to be getting involved in sports. And I'm like, and other stuff, I'm like, how do I, what's got to give here? How I can't do this. Like I'm, how do I make this happen? I'm like, what's going to give the job. So I quit working. <laughs> so you quit. So you quit the turnaround thing. To focus on other areas that were more important. Yeah. But the sense I'm getting here. So so now, now, now how, how, how does, how does that create more time? Okay. Well now (laughs) that becomes my, my creative outlet now is my work. Now I'm designing equipment. Now my training is part of my job and that happens during my work day, my ability to create culture and values internally in the organization starts drawing the people that I want to live and be around. Like people are (laughs) come from all over to be part of this, I don't hire people. I ask people if they want to be part of changing the world in the way that we're changing it. And next thing you know, now my relationships, my all of this stuff is happening at work. And now, and now I wake up in the morning and I spend two hours with my family before I even head into the office. I get to the office. I do the things that are really meaning to me. I, you know, I'm making products and education that are helping people get out of pain and living a better quality of life. I'm working with my, everything is there. And then I get my training in and I'm, I'm heading home and I'm heading home at the time that I would be heading to the gym normally. And now all of a sudden we added up, I'm spending four hours a day more with my family than I've ever done before, but I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life at the same time. Because I'm always engaged. There's something going, thinking. There's a little mixture of stuff here and there. And every evening, I've got an hour, at least an hour. I sit there with my wife. We may be sitting in the hot tub. We may be sitting in the bed, wherever it is. And we sit there and we talk about where we're at in life. What is our shared vision for the future? And what are the steps and how are we moving and what does that look like and all these different variations and potential paths and outcomes together of living our shared vision. And, and let's just unpack that a little bit. I said I had an ex-wife. I walked away from my, my marriage at the same time I walked away from my businesses. I also quit competing uh, competitively as an athlete at the same time, all in 2015, 2016, as I started the businesses, because I wanted to cut everything from my life that didn't align with where I wanted to go. Every relationship, every, I have a great relationship with my ex-wife, by the way, she's a great friend. And we actually have the exact same relationship now that we had when we were married, which was the problem. Uh, I wanted passion in every area of my life and I didn't have it there. And I wasn't willing to, to accept anymore, uh, accept that anymore. And I was fine with being single, um, being a single dad or whatever, and I talked about how people were drawn. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a social media. I'm like, I'm put, I put myself out there in the world. And my so wife, found me. my wife found me. And all of a sudden at 40 years old, I found actually what love is for the first time in my life. Like, uh, for a part, like it, what, 
I was not expecting that. And holy cow, that like knocked me over sideways, right? That come from, you had to eradicate, you eradicated things from your life that didn't serve you, right? And you did it pretty, yeah. you did it pretty directly, right? So it yeah. sounds like you I mean, it. it would almost be considered ruthlessly by like maybe, but, but the mindset it was intentional. Behind that, yes. Yeah, but, but I was going to say, is it intentional or intuitive? And we can get into that in a minute. But the mindset behind that, right, and the bravery to do it, like a lot of people don't, right? A lot of people kind of, they accept or they tolerate mediocrity because- I, I accept, I, I was in a, let's, let's talk the relationship side of it. I was in a comfortable yeah. relationship. I had an amazing job. I had a house with a white picket fence. I had two amazing kids. I had, I had everything. I had the American dream, right? I don't know what the UK dream is, but I had the American dream, okay? And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not happy. Why is that? Why is it? And, and it, it was, I'd done just exactly what I talked about, uh, when I, you know, when it was referring to, uh, the school environment, the, <clears throat> I was proving everybody that I, this young, this kid from the sticks could be successful. I, I could make a life that everybody would desire that, that few could have, I could, I could create this and I created it and I went, shit. That's not my dream. <laughs> That's not my dream. <laughs> and so I had to wake up from it and it was not, it's a painful process. Let me tell you. I mean, that is, uh, and so, yeah, I, and I walked away from competitive lifting. So I didn't want to play on other people's terms. I was competing to be the best in the world, but there was things I was working around and then my schedule with my work and like the, tra I didn't want to be on anybody else's and I wanted the creativity in it as well. So I said, I'm going to create challenges that are of my own design that really have meaning to me. And they're things that can do a, a couple of things. Uh, one is demonstrate the principles of like what I, what I talk from an education standpoint to show people like somebody like myself, who's had back problems so bad that I had to learn to walk again, that you can live out of pain and actually overcome all sorts of back trauma through, you know, stabilization and control of the spine and, so I picked two exercises, the two hardest that would challenge that from a, and it's particularly from a developmental kinesiology standpoint, and that would inspire people so over the top and crazy that people would think you're yeah crazy for even suggesting that you could pull it off. And then I created them as exhibition lifts because there's no competition for them. And every path was publicized as a fundraiser for things that, well, a lot of it was tied to my past, you know, like, uh, you know raising money for children uh, that have been through, you know, uh, physical or sexual abuse, um, um, homeless mothers, uh, think, you know, and every one of them was tied to those experiences. Those are the three things I did. And so my squat and deadlift thing, the deadlift, only one rep counted for a record. The other three were just, I wanted to, it, it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to demonstrate and so anyway, it's the Guinness, it's the Guinness world record for the most weight ever sumo deadlifted, but I, I actually did it for three reps. And then the squat didn't count for any record because there wasn't anything I could tie that to. Um, but I did three reps, thousand one pounds. Wow. Uh, it was five years. I chased this to put it together. There's actually a documentary coming out next year, uh, early next year on, uh, this grand goals, like over the top. But anyway, my, my point being, I, I tore apart everything in my life, even the, the big, massive things that people would call accomplishments and completely reframe them. 
Yeah, and that's the thing that I want to kind of just unpack a bit because, like, did you do it quickly? In other words, did you, like, come up with the decision to do it and take action quickly? Or was this brewing for some time and then there was a point where you said enough is enough and I'm just going to change it all? Because, again, back to my point beforehand, there's a certain degree of courage, you know, that, that to, to be able to do all that. Most people wouldn't. So was it something that was intentional or intuitive? Intentional meaning? It was, it was- I, I would love to say that I actually planned all of it but I didn't figure it out till after I'd done everything, right, why okay. I had done it. Honestly, it was a feeling so, though. It was more, it was, it was more like a gut feel. Yeah. You thought, I, I just need to change these things. Yeah. And I knew, I, I knew why I wanted to start the businesses and what I wanted to do with those and the, the impact that it had, which is not, not what I suggest for most people chasing entrepreneurship to, to think that you're going to pull it off and create more time for your family, by the way. Um, no, no, no. Were you scared? Okay. I mean, so yeah. how did you feel at that point? Were you scared or did you feel more alive when you, when you burnt the boat, so to speak, or burn all the boats? It was, uh, it was scary, but I felt more alive. It felt Got like it. my, I can't imagine going back. I mean, it's, and you know, growing up for me, much of my life is essentially like burning the bridges, even though it wasn't forced. I never had a fallback plan. When I took off to college so to no forge my B. own way, there was no one to call home and ask for money if I couldn't, or if I, I, I didn't make, you know, had to drop out. You know, I didn't have a, a room to go back to or a bed to crash on. And in fact, if I called home, I would be asked for money and I sent money home, the opposite of what most college students would do. Right. And so- yeah. And that's one example through my whole life. I didn't learn about burning bridges, but I was in an environment such as that for most of my life. Now, when we talk about values, I missed one in there. Security is a big one for me and it's counter to, and I didn't mention the other value, but it should be pretty obvious. Um, and that's around uh, uh, competitive outlets. Uh, I'm, I'm driven. You can call it a number of different words. I it's more of a feeling or a sense, right? So it's a sense of challenge, it's competition, it's whatever, you know, recognition kind of ties that as well. Although I consider that like a separate value, but yeah, I like to be recognized for what I've accomplished, you know, when it's, but security is a little bit of a counter to that. And I always have that lingering that does scare the hell out of me because I can never, I know I can survive on nothing. (laughs) I've lived it. But I, I will not allow my family th- that, right? Now, yeah. I still want to see them, you know, like my children. I want to see them struggle. I want to see them fail. It sounds odd to say, but like. No, I get, have you. To, I get you. It, you you, you don't want to, because yeah, I say, you don't want fa- things fa- to be too easy, right? <laughs> well, fa- 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 failure is just a step in the process, right? It's actually how you build confidence because you're going to come back around. You're going to try another avenue. You're going to study more. You're going to think about it. You're going to try harder. You're going to do all these things. And then you're going to realize, oh, I, I did a, and that starts building the, the, that confidence. You got to walk through that. And when, when people hand stuff to you or, or, or manage it and like call your, call your professors or do whatever to make sure you get, like, you never, you know, you didn't, earn it. You didn't have to work. You didn't have to fail in the process. And because there's so much in life that you're going to fail at, you've got to learn that failure is not failure. That's just your, that's your, that's just your first of rebuttal. And you're probably going to have a few more before you, you, you get to accomplishing it. And no, just knowing to... that no matter what you can, you're going to keep chipping away and you'll find a way you'll find a way. Right. And nobody, 
so I'm careful in, in that aspect as, you know, being a parent, but at the same time, there's a big difference between that and actually having your children have trauma, right? So let's, let's separate those. Um, like I said, there's still always things that you can learn from trauma, but we don't want to, we don't want to go there at that end. We, you you know, you've got to, to you've that. got to have the point yeah, where, that that's not a, well, you know, you, you know, from your perspective of, you know, you know, building a great physique and all that sort of stuff, you've got to have resistance, you know, to be able to build. That, it's the you? essence so of, so this is the, we're always trying to find comfort, right? We're trying to find, like, I'm going to retire you know, and find a, a great Caribbean beach and drink Mai Tais. And it's, it's always, once I get to there, I'm going to sell the business and then things are going to be, or it's always like trying to get to this place. Right. And that's when death starts. And I'm not real. So training specific adaptation to impose demand, the said principle resistance is life without resistance. There is no adaptation and adaptation is life. So it's not ethereal. Like I, I love using this example. I think I stole it from uh, uh, Darn. I wish I could remember who I stole it from right now. Um, but it was, it was discovered in the experiments on the biodomes that <clears throat> trees, you know, they, they were growing to a certain height and they just fall over like longest time. Like, is it the wrong tree? Is it the wrong soil? Are we, what, what, what's going on with our water? Like, what is going on? And it's like, no, we, we actually remove the environment. There's no wind buffeting against the tree saying, take those roots and like grow deep and strong into the ground and have the barks weak because it hasn't been plummeted by the elements that hasn't like, and it literally kills itself. Like, so if I go into the gym and I do curls, that bicep, it gets resilient. People want to think strength and size and other, but it's, it's resilience. It becomes more resilient to handle the other stressors that are going to hit it in the future that we don't know about. It can take on a little bit more load next time. And you got the confidence to do it. Yeah, I can do that again. It's not just some mental too, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and it gets <laughs> stronger. Now I break my arm and it goes in a cast and it atrophies. I mean, these are examples to show that like, this is not, this is not ethereal. This is straight. <laughs> all living beings have to have now too much, they'll break down. Right. So, uh, too much stress. And, you know, so you've got to have, you know, this, this cycle, just like training, like, right. We've got to train. If we train really heavy for, you know, three months, maybe we take a little bit easier for a week. Right. You train five days a week. You got two days off. Well, if you roll it, if you roll it that, and that's great. And from that, we kind of stair step, we stair step and we keep getting more resilient. But if I take three months off, it's too much time off. So, so it's, it's, it's about the teacup, right? Right. And we, we, we focus, you've got to refill it, but life's not about refilling it. Right. It's no, no, no. And, so and what you, it's, it's business and everything is the choice of where do we pour it out to? You know, our, our values, our impact on culture, society, and people, everyone around us, right? That's our impact. And it, that's the, incredibly important to choose where we're pouring that. But we've got to refill, but we've got to have the time of the stressing. Or, and it's, you, you can't, you know, that, that, that Mai Tai is on the beach is the start of death. 
You can do that. So for let's a talk week. about. Let's you can do about it for a few days here and there. <laughs> let's talk about your business. Let's talk about your business for a bit here, because I mean, again, I, I'm loving the, the the values and the principles and the standards that you've built things around. What I'm finding fascinating about this conversation is a you've. It, it sounds like to me. I asked the question before about in, intuition. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you sort of do by feel, right? If it feels right. Yep you know, then you lean into it, right? And get the results. So I want yep. to talk about business now. So you've created three businesses, I believe, in the space of a few years, all very successful mm -hmm. businesses. What's been your philosophy that's underpinned that success in those businesses? So you said uh, it feels good, so you lean into it. It's almost, it's almost the opposite. It feels scary. Okay. The excitement. I thought good, 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 good with it, you and scary is probably the same thing I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the new it's the new relationship. It's the being in your early twenties and you're in a you know in a pub or something like that, and you see you know somebody across the way that's like, oh man, I want to I I, I want to get her number. I want to go talk to her or him or whatever. And it's this mixture of like excitement but anxiety, mm -hmm. and your gut starts twisting up, and you're like pulled, like, do I go there? Do I don't? That feeling. It's the same feeling when you know you've got a you know, a second cousin that's, uh, you know, doing something in the family and, and it's, you know, said something or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I really want to have, you know what? I don't want to have a conversation with them right now. It's the, it's the boss, the coworker, the whatever. There's all, these are all opportunities to practice, by the way, this is training that you're like, man, I just, I just get that same twisting in your gut. Like, right. Yeah. It's tying up in a knot and it's like, I'm just going to avoid it and hope it goes away. Those are all your signals for your practice because every one of those is your opportunity. And that's when you feel that and you have those sensations, those are the things that mean it could be going back to school. It, it could be, you know, taking that jump from that secure job to this dream job that you have, but you're scared of, you know, I, I don't have the, I don't have the skills. I don't have the, it, it could be leaping out and doing your own business. It could be all those could be any number of things. And I can't say that everyone's going to be a success. You're going to fail. Uh, <laughs> but, but that practice is going to get you to recognize that sensation and be in the practice of knowing to turn into it, to lean. And, and, then, it. and that's what you've done. You've, again, to use my word, you've leaned into that feeling. Yes. Every time it was, it much. was, it was scary. It was scary. You know, going, I'm going to walk away from this massively successful career that I'm paid a lot for. I'm respected and recruited. I, you know, I could to, I have no security. I'm going to put everything on the line. And in fact, you know, not only am I going to lose like, you know, my homes, my 401k that I've been working on for 20 years, and I'm going to leverage up a few million dollars in personal guarantees on debt so that, you know what, if I fail, I don't get to just go back that cushy life. Like I'm going to be living in an apartment the rest of my life, paying off my, my failure. Right. That's a little scary. That's a little scary, but did you ever think in, that you would fail? But I've been in the practice of it. Did you ever believe that it, you could fail? Oh yeah. I mean, fail. Huh? Oh yeah. Okay. There's, I mean, you, you, you will get to the point where, you know, everybody around you is doubting you, but then there's, it gets to where you're doubting yourself. Right. And you're going, and, and that's, uh, that's tough, you know, to pick up and not let that just overwhelm you because it feels overwhelming. And uh, I don't have any good answers there, except, you know, 
take a step back and realize why you're there and what you're doing and uh, focus on. I was wondering one though, little, more in, one little more in, step that you can take today, right now, that's going to move you forward. And that's what I did my entire life to move the needle from right. the homeless kid in the sticks to that successful career. Like the scope of making that change. If I looked at that and went, I'm going to go there, it would be overwhelming. But if I can paint what that picture is in my mind that, and know like all that they tell you in school to be a dreamer. And I say bullshit to that because uh, a dreamer is just focused on that end thing. And you got to you got to know all the steps and the pain and the struggle and everything that's going to have to happen to get there. To create this vision so you can like kind of map that in your mind mentally and emotionally. Right. But you can't focus on that. You have to focus on today. That North Star, it's unreachable. What step can I make? It's going to move me just one step closer. And you're going to, you're going to take a step and you're going to take steps for six months or a year. And it's going to feel like you've moved nowhere, but then 10 years is going to roll by and you're going to look back and go, holy cow. And what most people do in life is they focus on this task driven nature or the comfort or the, whatever it is. And they don't take a single step for six months or a year, and they never move anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And what's, so what's next for Christopher? <laughs> um, so, well, right now I'm excited for the, uh, the movie coming out. Uh, I'm doing a second edition uh, of the Eagle and the Dragon, updating it with the, uh, the grand goals and a uh, few other uh, things from earlier in the, uh, earlier in my life that I, uh, found through actually going and visiting some people in the process of uh, doing the movie uh, that uh, I thought I would uh, include in there. And then I'm working on my second book. So not the second edition of The Eagle and the Dragon, but a true second book, uh, which is more of a business. Uh, it's 60, 80% a business book, honestly. Um, but it's about uh, uh, goal setting, execution, and leadership. The, the three-pronged trifecta, people like to focus, you know, their business, you know, books yep. and content on like one air. And it's like, you have to have all three of those, right? And then how do you put that in place in your whole life as well? Uh, so that's my next one that'll be out probably middle of next year. I'm targeting April to have it, uh, the manuscript done. And I've got probably several major publishers that are, uh, that are interested right now. So we'll see, see about that. Uh, Kabuki strength as a whole is everything that people see right now is just a smaller scope. I am working on reinventing the entire gym from front to back, right. Um, around concepts that rapidly accommodate to an individual users, their, their lever links, their mobility restrictions, their training needs, and allows us to do that in a small scope of space and integrates with the philosophies that are used in both clinical and training um, around those principles, tying in the technological inputs uh, to that and how we manage and tap into what the nervous system is doing, the treatment modalities, as well as the clinical interface uh, and integrations with the, which will include uh, reframing the relationships between clinical coaching and client, which is uh, all, it's basically creating an entire ecosystem of um, 
the pieces that will have the highest level of impact on a person's life uh, from both uh, from training, clinical care, tools, uh, the equipment environment, all packaged uh, together. And so I'm about five years into that plan. There's about another five years in really developing that into a scalable model uh, that uh, and changing. So the goal is to change the face of fitness and clinical care. Wow. And what's a final question for you? What legacy do you want to leave? Have you thought about that? The legacy that I want to leave is to show my children through my actions and my life that they can form the world around themselves themselves. Oh, wow. There's too many of themselves there, but no, um, it's powerful though. It's uh, yeah. You can get up, you can preach, I can write books. I can, you know, there's so many things, but I'm a big believer in walking the walk and, you know, the best thing that I can do if I want them to live the life that they have the potential of living and the impact that they can have on the world and those around them, because everything is about, everything is about connections. It's what we do and how we interact with everybody in the world and the, and the change that that leaves. And I want to show them they can create that and form that world however they choose, because you know what? They watch their father do it. I love that. I love that. You know, there are so many different places we could have taken the conversation today, right? So, you know, we haven't touched, <laughs> we haven't touched on hardly any of it. I mean, I've done, <laughs> I've done something like 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons and I wear barefoot shoes. So we could have got into that, but <laughs> conscious of time. But uh, honestly, mate, like, you know, your story is incredibly inspiring. And for people who, who listen to this show regularly, one of the things I want to happen is I want people to hear hear what makes people tick, you know, the different challenges that they had, how they've overcome those things that they've gone on to create, to do, to be. Uh, and if, you know, one, one conversation heard at the right time for someone can change anything. So I want to thank you for sharing your story on the show today and, uh, and being so open and vulnerable, I think, with everything that you've both gone through and achieved. Thanks. Um, you know, for, for your listeners, um, I just set up and I'm giving away the first half of my book for free. Oh, fantastic. So I, call, I, I call it the Eagle. All you got to do is just go to my personal website, sign up for the email list, and you will get the Eagle for free. You'll get some ex exclusive uh, educational content and exclusive discounts to all three of my companies as well. Uh, just go enter your email. Um, there's also a link to a free Audible download. Uh, and I read my own, I read my own book as well. Um, oh, good. Uh, okay, that, that's a now good. it's, it, it's <laughs> it, I guess technically it's not free because it's, like I said, the, the, you'll be emailed like free, free, my, uh, you know, first half of my book, but the audible is a, it's a great program. That's why I put it on there. Um, because if you don't have an account, you can get my book and one other book for free. Um, but you do have that, re, you know, signing up for a subscription, right? Yeah, that's um, fine. We'll make sure we put then, all of that in there. Yeah. Cause we've got your, yeah, so, I've got your website as it's uh, christopherduffin.com and yep. Instagram mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. So again, people can kind of get stuck me. into that yep. as well. <laughs> well, listen, as I said, Chris, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for being so generous with your time. And I will personally be following some of your stuff because a lot of stuff that you work on and, and my sort of, even in my sort of health and fitness journey uh, is fascinating to me. So thank you very much, sir. Thank you. 
Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.